that shareholders annual meeting is one of the most coveted meetings to to go to anybody in the investment world. It's it's a rite of passage to attend that because of the amount of knowledge and you could spend some serious time just going through and, and reading the letters to the shareholders because of that long term thinking. We see where the puck is going. If we continue to improve while skating toward it, it's not a if it's a when. Welcome to the Success Flow Podcast, where our mission is simple, to be better each day and relay our findings with other relentless humans defining success for themselves. If that sounds like you, let's begin. Good morning. We, uh, there's some big news in the last week or so. Uh, Charlie Munger, 99 years old, passed away. I know, uh, You've learned a lot about him, read some books about him, and know that one kind of hit you a little bit. I, mean, I think this should be the topic of the podcast today. I'm going to be honest, I, I don't know too much about the guy, and it's almost like, you know, legacy in a way, where sometimes when people pass is when you dive into their models and their their ideas and their thoughts and their philosophies, and this guy was a really interesting cat, that's for sure, and I was actually kind of, cool, you know, Kind of glad I, uh, I was able to dive into it more. Not happy that he died, but, you know, I think he's got some interesting stuff and I think it'd be a good topic. Absolutely. Yeah, he lived a, a long, good life. That's for sure. And you weren't alone in that group thread when I sent it over. I was a little I was a little surprised, but then not that no no one in the group knew who he was. Uh, but big impact on me a lot everyone knows warren buffett right household name but munger is his number two and right hand man throughout the entire building of berkshire hathaway and uh obviously doesn't get enough love but like you said now um though he passed at 99 i i believe he lived a, a, a long good life and we have a ton we can learn about him. And when I sent that message, it was evident on that group message. I'm like, we need to do a podcast on this because it's right on brand for the success flow podcast. So uh, looking forward to sharing some of that with the listeners today. Yeah, it absolutely is. You kind of sent that through and it was like crickets. I knew of them because you've talked about them, but some of the other guys were like, huh, who? <laughs> but so crazy about him and Buffett. Um, he, so I did, I've done some research, right? Obviously these are not things I knew about, uh, more than a week ago and, uh, or more than a few days ago, he actually started working at this place called Buffett and sons when he was a teenager, which was Warren Buffett's grandfather's like grocery store or something. Yeah. And that's like kind of how he got ingrained into the family and how they became partners. And he had his own wealth development company and, uh, but you know, Berkshire Hathaway Buffett acquired that. And, and it actually came with a lot of, um, like it like malicious, like it, like a kind of a hostile takeover, if you will. Mm -hmm. I guess it was like where uh, Munger was going to merge with another company, and Buffett didn't like that or didn't want that to happen, so he bought up a bunch of the stock and basically became like a majority owner and stopped it, and then it kind of came under the 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 Berkshire Hathaway umbrella, which is kind of wild. How like going back, like what that probably was like. Like we see stocks and we see mergers and acquisitions, and we hear about it all all on the news and all that stuff, but like without internet or like people reporting on this all that much other than the newspaper, maybe in the next day, like how all of that went down. Um, I'm sure there was a lot of stories and a lot of things that went down that we will never know how it went down, but kind of wild, wild west type of uh, takeovers in the business world there. It really is. And to your point, we're talking all analog. I mean, that's where, where Buffett gets a lot of his, 
you know, he gets he gets scrutiny too because he's dedicated his entire life to just reading financial statements and business cases, like how a business is performing. And it's not they're not sexy, the the businesses that he's looking at. It's all about long term growth. Who are the people involved? What's the industry and what's the long term play and being patient that you're going to take a long time to read about these businesses and know the owners and know where that ship is headed and making that, that long-term bet. And that, that's where, that's where Munger, you know, came in quite a bit, that long-term thinking as opposed to quick gains, which most investors and human beings in general are looking for, which we talk about a lot on the podcast. What's the long-term mission the long-term dopamine versus instant gratification. Yeah, absolutely. There was a quote that I found uh, where Munger says, you know, the guy's worth, when he passed, he was worth like $2.3 billion, right? Like it's ridiculous. He top 1,200 richest people in the world, which I thought was kind of crazy. Like imagine $2.3 billion and you're not even the top 1,000 richest people right? in the world, right? Um, but he, this quote was, it takes character to sit there with all that cash and do nothing, like literally he says, I didn't get to where I am by going after mediocre opportunities, which, you know, me and oppo flow and the, the word opportunity and how important that is to me and recognizing that opportunity is everywhere, but it doesn't mean that you jump at every opportunity. So I love that quote and saying, I've got billions of dollars and I'm not just going to invest it in crap, right? He, he's going to do that research and he's only going to invest in like four or five or 10 companies. Like, it's just, it's not like he's spreading himself all over. He's just finding the best possible option, return on investment and going all in on that direction because it aligned. And I just thought that was really neat. Absolutely. And we talk about, you know, definitive levels of knowing your purpose. And in this case, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, okay, cool. They stacked a lot of cash over the course of their their life, but I think it's way more than that. They identified this as almost a spiritual game of I was here. I'm I was put on this earth to identify value and maximize that value in, in good businesses. And again, we there's going to be scrutiny on all sides on, you know, is that is that what we're what it's all about? It's the beauty of this podcast is that's for the individual to identify with and the amount of charitable giving and the impact that that company Berkshire's having. And I know his estate, he and Buffett both, I know more about Buffett than he, but it's not going to be passed on without intention, put it that way. And I haven't dove in on, on where it's all going or anything like that, but taking it back to that long-term game, that, that mindset, I went down the Munger route, and something that I I have not been historically great at. I'm a very intuitive. I do enjoy the facts and diving into the data on things, but I typically like to take a certain amount of information and, you know, have made a lot of gut feel calls over the course of my life. And I'm like, you know what? I want to get better in this area. So started looking at, at this idea of, of mental models. And the idea is if you can establish a certain amount of mental models in your life, there's about 80 of them that apply to every aspect of life. And so he was really big on how can I, if I make one decision, how can it help me make decisions for the rest of my life? Right. 
And so one of those um, that I wanted to, to bring up with is uh, a technique in a mental model called inversion. So in a, uh, one simple example of this could be with inversion, you're trying to take a look at problems in reverse. Instead of what am I trying to do to achieve this goal? It's what would I not do or avoid to get to the same? So, so a simple example uh, that this audience would would resonate with and like is, is your health, right? You look at health and achievement that you want to improve your health. What are the things I'm going to do? You go to work out, eating healthy foods, what, the doing things, right? Well, it's like, what are the things that if I did them or did not do them would give me the opposite of poor health and avoiding those things. So flipping the problem on its, on its end is a total different perspective on the problem. So I'm going to avoid sugar. I'm going to avoid staying up late. I'm going to avoid uh, cheap dopamine. It's a way to flip things around and look at the opposite because that's where the blind spots can hide. And that, that was a big one for me in regard to mental models and things that help you out in every aspect of life. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one because I'm currently, as you know, on a big health journey this year. And I do look at that as what are the things that I don't want to do because that's not the person that I want to become. And so I'm not going to go out and stay up late. Now, there may be a few select times where I do that, and that's fine because I've made that choice. But that goes a long way of like, I'm going to avoid these situations or I'm going to avoid these foods or avoid these things because I'm on this health journey. So that was a great example. Um, I, I did some, I, I, did you, do you know anything about the Lollapalooza effect, which is another kind of like, um, it, it talks about mental models and it's more about um, having, it, it's, it says the result is often extreme uh, based on biases and tendencies. And, it, and he talks about people not necessarily strong enough mentally go through this Lollapalooza effect and the story that he tells is like the Tupperware party or at an auction. And he says the Tupperware party, the host, you're going to this party um, out of respect or you were invited. And so you come and you have no desire or need for Tupperware, but you go because you're supporting. And then, you know, the, the host is saying, okay, I, I've got this, this Tupperware that I'm selling and you see other people buying and there's a social impact and there's a lot of factors that come into this. And now all of a sudden you're buying Tupperware and now you're like, shoot, no, what do I have to do? What am I going to do with all this Tupperware? But you did it because you had this Lollapalooza effect, he said, where you're kind of just going um, in a direction that doesn't necessarily align. Um, and, and he also talks about the auction, like when people are bidding on things and you're bidding on things and he talks about the sense of loss and how you're getting upset mm -hmm. with the sense of loss, meaning like, you're bidding on these things and you, you all of a sudden get to the point where you, that in your mind that that is yours. And then when someone outbids you and you don't have it, you're like upset with yourself that you didn't get it because you in your mind already made it up. That was yours. And it's like, well, that's not true. It's never yours. And so anyway, it's just interesting how he takes these mental models and can put you know a name to them and and talks about these different ideologies. I, I love that, too. And my head goes through again when you're trying to connect, not trying to can't help but connect all these dots. I take that to a spiritual um, realm in regard to non-attachment, right? You, you got attached to this thing that you, you don't even know if you really want. You're, you're kind of in the middle of a game at that point. And when you can remove that attachment and go back to what is the real outcome I'm looking to achieve, 
you can just operate from more of a sense of clarity there. And that's where like the Zen Buddhism and this, I see this huge overlap, even though they couldn't be more different. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it just talks about like the, the likelihood of irrational decision-making it's, you mm -hmm. know, and so yeah, clarity is a big word there. Yeah. And the, the, another one, I think it ties in with that Lollapalooza is, is confirmation bias, right? That, that whole thing of we make decisions based on everything that we have experienced over the course of our life and they compound and so we're, we're taking, we're making decisions based on off of a limited data set. And so for business, if you evaluated every business like that, if you take like Junto for an example, you can't evaluate a large plumbing operations overall value based on your experience in the freight and, and moving and logistics industry. Just a, a brief example there. If you're only making decisions based on your experience in this industry, you're you're gonna be you're gonna run into a bunch of troubles because it's an incomplete data set. And so resetting all of these, again, getting out of our conscious experience, our limited realm, just allows you to open up a whole different area and really evaluate things for their specific place in the moment. So love that one. Yeah, I, when I think of Munger and then obviously Buffett and you just think of like, you just think of the investing world and that's really what they're known for and the real estate and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm a, um, I'm a, I invest in the stock market. I also invested in a pre-IPO, which was a, a real estate development company. And, and I did that about nine years ago and they just IPO'd this year. And, you know, that's, that's another source of income for me, uh, for sure. But I've definitely had my fair share of losses over the years. And, you know, you talk like I'm pretty sure Munger would be rolling around in his grave knowing that my uh, stock and strategies, uh, he'd be not very uh, pleased. He'd probably be very frowned upon. Um, but, I, you know, I didn't always used to be aggressive or used to be this way. I was always very, very conservative. I kind of had this uh, long term play approach until really it was COVID. It was 2020 when everything started tanking like really bad in March, I was like, you know what, I don't know, even know what I'm invested in. Like I was just had this portfolio with, uh, with the bank. And I was like, I'm going to pull my money out. And I'm going to learn about the stock market. And in the last three, four years, I've learned a ton about what's possible in the market. Um, had I left it in there, it probably would have had, you know, similar results four years later. But you know, obviously, I was an eager beaver uh, to get to get involved there. But the IPO, the pre IPO stuff like that was a long term play. And I still haven't even cashed, you know, any of that out It's just sitting there and probably hold it for a long, long period of time and just see where that takes me. It's kind of like out of sight, out of mind uh, investment. Um, but I do get involved with options trading and spreads on, you know, SPY, it follows the tracks, the S&P 500, and then QQQ tracks the NASDAQ, which is the tech, uh, tech index fund. And I do spread options on those. And that is what kind of supplements my income. It's very uh, risky if you don't know what you're doing. Um, I work with a team of people um, that help me understand that. And it's become a very uh, great way for me to you know, continue my income level. But I will tell you that Munger would say, you're a moron. And he would say, a lot of people think, he actually has a quote, says a lot of people think that if you have 100 stocks you're investing in, that they're professional more so than someone who invests only in four or five. And he, he says, I regard this as insanity. <laughs> and it goes back to doing your research, finding the right opportunities that align, going all in on them and then sit, do nothing, just let it do its thing. Um, but you know, sometimes I don't have the patience for that. And I like seeing some action. 
Oh, you you and I really leveled on this and, and was another reason we wanted to pick up this topic is because we're we're younger movers and shakers or in the making and we were both in that similar situation. Um, the opportunities that came our way, you have a certain amount of cash set aside and we wanted to make a move, right? I, I couldn't agree with you more that both uh, Warren and Munger with our, our two kind of big plays that we've made would probably have been like, the process we went about it may have not been the best, but that's also what led us down this road to evaluate these things and had a similar opportunity that came my way to yours, totally different industry, but was in a position to, to make an investment and wound up um, at, at the time. And the, the majority portion of the business was two am a 2% owner uh, in a, uh, a product in the alcohol business, a, a spirit. And my whole evaluation was it, it was total addressable market, the trends of where the market was going. This is relatively before every celebrity had a tequila. Um, so, I, I mean, there Clooney was making his move, but it was a sexy business to, to get involved in. And uh, it's playing out okay and pretty well, but it's fun going through these exercises because in the future – it will be a totally different evaluation process for everything that comes through, especially with, you know, the group that we're working with, they're going to be coming around and how we can evaluate these from a long-term play and truly with some, a little more business acumen, uh, we can approach them better. But those two areas, <laughs> I think it's, it's funny, uh, the, the feedback we would have gotten from, from uh, the Berkshire boys on this one. I, I just, you know, did, I did the cliche, uh, post when, when someone passes away, I love, I love social media for that. I love seeing everybody else's posts of their favorite takeaways from, from those that have, have moved on to the next dimension. And the, the one that I had posted was those who keep learning will keep rising in life. And this is nothing groundbreaking here, but it's important for the people that are listening to a podcast like this, that even when you get to a certain level of success in your industry, we tend to put it on cruise control, right? We've accumulated this knowledge. We've become a expert, but there are so many books and there's so much information out there that there's never a time to stop. And you can change the things. They're so big on a diverse level of knowledge. Pick an industry that just interests you that you know nothing about. Jump in on that and start trying to connect the dots and these, again, these guys were just lifelong learners. They just read, they spent their entire day reading, not in, not evaluating the reaction of the markets, not even, uh, they did very few meetings besides their big one, the, the, the Berkshire, um, uh, summit. It's not called a summit. The, I had it here somewhere. It's, it might, it, it's something relatively, yeah, so their annual meeting or whatever that they have. Um, the Berkshire annual, yeah. Yeah, they and Munger had his own, like uh, like uh, a few weeks later or a week later or something like that too. Um, they would have, he said, it, it, he, he would hold, his philosophy obviously was high ethical standards and, and was integral to his philosophy, but Wesco Financial Corp was part, was his deal that Berkshire Hathaway took over, but he still had an annual meeting. And one of the things he always said was good businesses or ethical businesses, a business model that relies on trickery is doomed to fail. Um, but they, those meetings were not like 
you know, they would spend a lot of time, I think more on one-on-one conversations, but I was reading at those meetings and, and they were very general, high level, like not a lot. It was just kind of like, let's get together for, you know, once a year with our shareholders and tell them what we know. But it was uh, very, it was much more important in the relationships that they had more one-on-one with them than it was like a big grandstand type of uh, conference. Absolutely. And that, that shareholders annual meeting is one of the most coveted meetings to, to go to anybody in the investment world. It's, it's a rite of passage to attend that because of the amount of knowledge and you could spend some serious time just going through and, and reading the letters to the shareholders. I think Warren's and, and Jeff Bezos are two of the most uh, read letters to shareholders just because of that long-term thinking of we see where the puck is going and if we continue to improve while skating toward it, this is a no, it's not a, if it's a when. So it's, it's just really impressive because you, you, it's the old sharpen the ax. If I, if I'm going to cut down a tree, if I, I I'm going to botch this by Lincoln, but it's like if I have seven days to cut down a tree, I'm going to spend the first six sharpening the ax. It's the yeah. same thing. They're, yeah. they're, they're going after these, these long-term plays and the mental models are, are a, a tool to, to get you there. Yeah. Uh, it, what was the word I was looking for? Perfunctory. I had to look it up. I'm not the greatest in uh, vocabulary. I failed that in class, but I made, made it through. And now that there's uh, you know, the Google and all that good stuff, I'm, I'm fine. But I had to look that one up and basically perfunctory means carried out with minimum of effort or reflection. And they said that most of these meetings were often perfunctory. And so it was kind of odd to hear that they were, it was very, it was effortless for them because it's just what they knew. And, but Munger would spend a lot of time with those shareholders. And this was what was interesting. He had a lot of time speculating about what Benjamin Franklin would do. Our boy. I thought that was crazy how that came full circle for us and how we have the ties to Benjamin Franklin with our mastermind Junto and kind of the foundation of what we're doing there. But I mean, it just comes back down to the founding father of like, this guy was so great talking about Benjamin Franklin and they would just speculate like, what would he do in this situation? Or what would that, you know, and I thought that was really interesting um, that Munger did the same thing. And it's like, you know, generational stuff. Like you said, they would read all the time. Right. And that's hard to do uh, to consistently pick up a book and learn about others. But if you can find like for him, it was Benjamin Franklin and Benjamin Franklin still is like pick up the autobiography and read about him. And then now Munger pick up a biography and read about him. And then just as generations go down, continue learning from others that have already done it and ask yourself, what would they do? Because we've said it before, but it, it, most pe- most successful people are successful because they've emulated what someone else has already done. They're not reinventing the wheel. They're just putting their own 20% spin on it. And so that's where all this knowledge comes from. And uh, I thought that was that was neat to hear how he, they would just speculate about what Benjamin Franklin would do in that situation. It really does come full circle. Again, connecting the dots, right? If it if it works, don't 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 if it's not broke, don't fix it. I like to they Warren and Charlie both got a lot of criticism on how minimally they lived. Given the amount of wealth, like that's how you know you're playing a game to play the game and just be excellent at your craft. Because like Buffett's still in a house that he bought for, I think, sixty grand back in the the fifties or sixties. Uh, again, do do your own research, but it's somewhere around there. And 
goes to McDonald's for breakfast every day. And he get like, there are a lot of people that say, Oh, they, they've just built this into their brand, right. That they're, you know, all about the bottom line, but that was their philosophy and they lived it. They, they were flying coach until a point that it was like, this is not a good use of time. Right. And then I'm, I'm sure switched it up eventually, but they just, there was this monk like approach to bring it back to the, 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 the Buddhism to it of this stuff doesn't matter. This is a, a distraction. Even though you've accumulated the epitome of what many people call success, that wasn't it for them. It was the game. It was the, it was the, this is why I'm here and this is how I'm going to spend my time and my, my money and let it grow. And, and that ability with the compound interest, when you, when you're keeping it simple and, and living to the bare minimum, everything can just grow because you have the space to do exactly what you want and really absorb the knowledge. Yeah, for sure. There was another quote that I found. He says, live within your income so that you, that way you can invest, right? Like if he's living in this uh, and it's his perception of success, like who's, who's any one of us to say, well, you've got all this money. You're super successful. Why don't you spend it here or do this or whatever? Well, that maybe that's their perception, his own perception of success. And that's what this is all about. Everyone has their own perception of success. And if that's what you're dialed into of flying coach and living in the house that you bought 50, 60 years ago, and you can have the ability to invest and compound that cash for a legacy that maybe you want to build and you have no desire to use it yourself or whatever. I mean, that that's great, right? It's their own perception. And so I, it's pretty cool that they didn't sway from that. And that was just kind of who they, who they are. Um, but, you know, it's all you know, going back to very highly successful, very wealthy people, um, and just sticking to what you know, and learning what you need to learn, and just focus on that and not worrying about the noise and what other people think you should do. And just defining what it is that you want out of life defining who it is that you want to be, and just solely focus on the mission that you have in front of you. And you may have to divert and pivot and do different things. But as long as you're going forward, with the philosophies and ideologies that you've learned from others that you can build into your own, tuning out the noise is going to be the fastest and best approach to your perception of success and happiness. Because at the end of the day, it, it, what someone else make, whatever opportunity they get, if you guys are both presented with the so, same opportunity, it may not align with you, but it might align with me or vice versa. And I can't hear your opinions on why what shouldn't align with me. And so it's got to just got to figure out for yourself how you want to be and what you want to do and just continue pushing forward towards that mission. Yeah. There, there's almost a dichotomy there, which everything in life, the yin and the yang, because there, there are two separate philosophies, right? Like you just mentioned staying inside your circle of competence, which uh, neither you and I did with our investments. And I'm very bad at this staying inside my circle of competence because I'm just too, I'm just so curious. There's so much out there and the, not necessarily shiny object, but I just get to a point where I want to understand where it all works. But, and that's what he also preaches, right? That's what I mean about the dichotomy. It's yeah, stay in your circle of competence, become an expert and focus, but it's also the connecting of the dots and, and getting out as well, appreciating those, those other areas. I really love, this is one thing that um, I heard from Naval as well. And I, I really agree with and Paula and I actually agree on this. We, we, we didn't have to debate this one too much, which we do a lot in our household, but like the three areas that if you are going to start exploring, 
in my opinion, and I, I love that he thought this is the same, the, the three areas are really math and economics, like basic math. I'm not talking trig calculus, but really a good understanding of, of mathematics to a certain point that you're, that's going to help you day to day. Uh, science, biology, how nature works, and, 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 and those areas that you can see connect and play out in all of society, and psychology, how humans interact with each other, how the brain works, how we make decisions. Those three areas are where if you spend the most of your time learning and connecting dots, have an outsized return to having a good understanding of how the world works and how we can operate at the best level. Yeah, for sure. I think he, you know, maybe in his early days, he didn't have that circle or like he didn't stick to like he was spending a lot of time of what we're doing and trying to learn everything we can to figure out what that path is supposed to look like. Right. You know, maybe in the latter part of his life, he's like, OK, this is what works. And this is what I'm sticking with. Um, but he gave a speech. You sent it to me as a YouTube. Uh, but it was, it was like I can't remember the title. There's something about the misjudgment of people and like the different areas. He gave like 24 different um uh, topics about it. And I, I, it, you have to talk about that a little bit because he, he, he talks about the mental models and all this stuff, but he talks about misjudging people. Um, it was a good speech. It, it's, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's hard to listen to because it's from like 19, what, 85 or 95 or something. It's from a long time ago. And the YouTube, it's not a video. It's like a, the audio is kind of tough, but it, it, it's, you know, just the way he, he thinks about that stuff is, yeah, the the psychology of human misjudgment, That's right? It and is. it goes back to the the biases, and how our decision making. We everyone likes to believe that they're rational and logical, and this is sales one hundred and one, or hopefully one hundred and one. That humans make decisions based off of emotion, and and survival, and back to that lizard brain. Are we in in fight or flight? And but we like to think that like everyone you know, I'm sure, is an above average driver. That's mathematically impossible. <laughs> if yeah. everyone was above average driver, we'd have a that goes against what a bell curve shows. But humans, again, that there's a little bit of ego in that one too. But we're making decisions on limited data sets, which we're we're kind of getting repetitive here. But human misjudgment is how they were able to identify all of these businesses that the value wasn't seen because humans have always done things this way. They're not looking at, well, what if it wasn't true? Again, flipping it, flipping it on its end. So that speech is, is super, it was impactful because of he called out and kind of this leads us to the dark side of of all of these great individuals he basically said the re the fact that you cannot see your misjudgment and that this happens in every area of society is the entire problem and i am right and if you don't <laughs> understand i can't help you and it was basically this posture with everyone that i can't help it that you can't see this and if you can't if i if you don't understand, I don't have time for you. And he handled the media that way. A lot of uh, even political figures, it was kind of like, you're incompetent and this is the way it is. And he actually stated that he would advise not going about life that way. A softer approach or not necessarily he that he recommended a softer approach, but not doing it the way he did with a little bit more uh, poise and openness to everyone. So again, with everything, there's, there's the dark side to greatness and we all have that dark side and you lean into it. 
figure out how to learn from it, not hide it. If you hide it and don't lean into it, that's when the danger can happen of it manifesting in a, a self-harm or harming the, the people around you. But he uh, he definitely gave more than he took, I think, even though he had that that kind of mindset when delivering the information. Yeah, I mean, he definitely gave uh, to his alma mater. He went to University of Michigan uh, and then Caltech when he was at the Army uh, based on his scores and the test. You know, they're like, oh, you're a smart dude. So we're going to move you over here to the tech school and then Harvard Law, um, where I think it was his dad's alma mater. Um, But he gave to University of Michigan. I read it was like the largest contribution uh, in in its history at the time. It's like one hundred ten million dollars to build a facility or like a a living facility for graduates to live and brainstorm and just come up with ideas. And it, today, and now, you know, that, that place holds like 600 graduates now at the university of Michigan. And um, he, he looks at, you know, he's obviously very into math and like you said earlier, and he, he has an interesting approach to how he values and invests in businesses. And also um, he, he looks at it as playing cards like poker, Right. Learning when to fold them and learning when to go all in when you've got when you've got the hand and folding it quickly and early and often helps you last in the, the poker tournament. I'm, I'm an avid poker player. I don't play as much as I used to, but I used to play a lot and uh, mainly home games. But I was pretty good. And I found that when I bluffed a lot early, <laughs> I, I would build a chip stack and then I would I'd coast. I'd be good. But if I bluffed a lot early and lost, I'm, then I'm out. So I was a little more aggressive. But he takes the approach where if you were just holding, holding, holding and playing when you have the hand, especially when you think about the World Series of Poker and how big and how many thousands of people play in that, most of the people that are at the final table probably didn't make more than a handful of bets on day one, two, or three, right? Like they just sat there until they had the opportunity that aligned. And um, so he uses that and he says opportunity comes, but just doesn't come very often. And I think what he's talking about is massive groundbreaking opportunities, like big all-in type of opportunities. Um, I am of the mindset that opportunity is abundant and it's up to you to create it and it's up to you to recognize it. Um, But those are more of the little opportunities on how you create uh, more future opportunities that become those pivotal moments. So I think what he's talking about is you have to seize those pivotal moments when you see them. Um, and that's what continues to build and compound over time towards your perception of success, whatever that is. But the card playing analogy, that one hit home uh, for me and University of Michigan. I, I don't know if I ever told you, when I was like 12 years old, I wanted to go to U of M. I wanted to be a Wolverine because my my family's, my wife, uh, my mom's from there and my uncles went to college there. And then I went and visited my uncle when I was like 14. I was like, Oh no, this is not, we're not going here. This is way too much snow, way too much cold coming from Arizona. I'm not going to university of Michigan, but I still follow him, And I still just, you know, sports wise and all that. Um, so I didn't know he went there. Yeah. I didn't know he ne- was never been a big blue fan, uh, because of the Notre Dame alliances. So you and I might've had other beef. Yeah, we uh, definitely do. Had, had you gone that way, but you, you tied us out perfectly there with the poker analogy and like in the theme of the story, if Sir Munger were on this pod, we'd ask him what is his definition of success. And he, he gave one that's more of a tactic than an outcome that we usually get from our, our folks. But one of his quotes is success means being very patient, but aggressive when the time calls for it. And that's how he lived his life. That's pretty much been the summary of, of what we brought to the table now. And in closing out, he, what really impacted me just preparing and brushing up for this podcast was it really hit home was 
most people in life get what they deserve in the end. And there are exceptions to that, you know, with sudden loss and uh, misfortune. But I started thinking about that. I'm like, it's totally right. Like what you put in, the amount that you're pouring onto the bamboo shoot at the end of the day, most people get the bamboo shoot that they, they put the effort into, right? What you're putting out into the world typically comes back to you. And that it hit home when you start thinking about an average, most people usually get what they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the pod, man. That was fun going through Munger's life and, you know, learning more about his philosophies and what he's all about. So like, subscribe, follow, tell us what you want to hear. Phil and I are putting together uh, quite a bit of great episodes to finish out this year and already planning for 2024. So hopefully you're doing a lot of that yourself. Um, See you next week.